<laughs> Freddy Krueger here, a.k.a. Robert England, and you're listening to Horror Business. Greetings and salutations. My name is Justin Lohr. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to episode 41 of Horror Business. Horror Business. You like, have you noticed in the past few episodes I've, I've stopped with the, uh, just start, I, we've gotten to the point now where we can use the episode number because we're up there. It's not like, this is episode six of Horror Business. 41, we're respectable now. Oh, I see. Yeah. I didn't know there was such a big difference in your brain. It shouldn't be, but it is. Um, so at which number did we become respectable? 40. 40 was the number. <laughs> so we've been respectable for two episodes now. <laughs> um, do you, the, uh, fr- a friend's podcast, I, know, I don't know if I need to shout them out because I don't think they're ever going to listen to this podcast, but uh, the various Breads and Butters guys, they're at like, I don't know, 100 some. But that's because they just skipped a bunch. Like they started at a random number and just said that they had lost episodes. So that means every time anyone brings up anyone famous, they're like, "Oh, former guest." That's I like that. Any famous person anyone brings up on the show, they go, "Oh, former guest, friend of the show, former guest, Beyonce." Yeah. <laughs> and they'll be like, "Yeah, you know, that was like episode three. You know, the so lost. how many how many episodes do they actually have? Uh, I think thirty. I don't know. That's fucking brilliant. There are like a hundred and seven episodes." We have technically one lost episode that we just re-recorded, so I don't know if that counts, but it's still pretty cool. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, the was it the Hellra- Hell the, was the Hellraiser? Yeah, the Clive Barker episode. So on this episode, we are going to be jumping into a topic that is a favorite of Liam's, but I myself am admittedly under underinformed. I did I did dip dip my toe into the the, the subject. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the films of Mario Bava. Mario, Mario Bava. Bava. Uh, I don't know if I would say favorite. I feel like um, well, you, you like you like giallo films, sure. But I, I okay. So this is actually we're going to be talking about uh, 1970s Hatchet for a Honeymoon and 1972's Bay of Blood. I think um, yes, I do like giallo films. Yes, and I think uh, Hatchet for the Honeymoon is definitely a, 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 a giallo film. Yes, uh, uh, is Bay of Blood maybe in theory. I think Bay of Blood. Well, I will say this: Bay of Blood is a one of those. It, it's sort of like a proto slasher film. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like a. It's kind of like a lot of uh, a lot of punks like MC Five. Okay. You know? Yeah, but yeah, MC5 yeah. MC Five isn't punk, but a lot, you know, you're like, yeah. You're like ah, oh, the the seeds the seeds are there. The seeds are planted. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what Bay of Blood. Is. It's not a slasher film per se, but it's basically a slasher film. You yeah. know, it's like right at the right. It's knocking on the door. <laughs> it's making it possible there, um, but I was I did want us to cover Mario Bava is an interesting figure I think in cinema and in uh, Italian cinema he sort of uh, he starts off in the more classic kind of gothic hammer horror realm yeah and classic Italian giallo film yes and then sort of like uh, ushers Italian cinema towards. A more modern horror, he, he, even if by the time we're in the 
depths of modern horror, he's not there. Like he's not really no. There. But I mean, I, I think even like uh, even though he, he's he's more well known for his sort of these giallo esque films. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, uh, was it Dan O'Bannon who uh-huh. wrote who wrote Alien admitted that Planet of the Vampires, which Bava made back in the what early sixties, uh-huh. was a huge influence on him. So I mean, even if he even if he his influence you can say oh he like helped influence the slasher like he also helped influence arguably one of the most influential horror movies of all time when it came to alien um so i i do think his impact is 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 a lot greater than than most people would uh well not most people than a lot of people would uh would would realize well and i think he appeals to art cinema as much as he does you know what i mean like i know a lot of horror hounds yes. so to speak who appreciate him but you know we watched one of these movies on Fandor, we watched the other one on Filmstruck. Like these are the yeah. these are the elite, the snobby elitist channels yeah. that, I, that I love, and they have you know solid Bava collections. So I think I think uh, th- for me it was just an opportunity to talk about that because I've I've seen a few things. I actually had not seen Hatchet for the Honeymoon. I've seen um, Bay of Blood before, though I kind of forgot a lot of it. I'm wondering if there's a couple. I feel like there's a second cut of Bay of Blood. I yeah. might have seen the other cut that we didn't watch. I'm not sure. Um, but I was glad to see Hatchet for the Honeymoon, a, a film that I've known of the name of. I mean, that's one of those movies Such you just a see great the name. name. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, oh, yeah, Hatchet for the Honeymoon. But long before I got to see it, so I'm glad we got to see that. Uh, you also might know the name Bava, dear to me, for his son, Lumberto Bava. I love that you know the son far more. This is like... <sighs> Again, I hate that I'm doing another musical reference that most of our audience doesn't care about. This is like when you meet a better than a thousand fan. And uh, <laughs> all right, all right, <laughs> it's like okay, that was that was a low blow. It's like when you meet a more of a shelter fan who's unfamiliar with you. You're getting closer. I was going to say it's more like meeting a Civ fan who didn't know about the biscuits. <sighs> Man, that one hurts even more. Actually. Yeah. I like that first Civ record, but but okay. The point is, is that Lamberto Bava, his son, basically learned to direct as the assistant director for his dad, and his movies, though I love them, never had the. I mean, he has not had the impact on the history of cinema that Mario has. Fair enough. I mean, I I, mean, I, I love Demons. I think Demons, Demons is, is, is amazing. Demons is great. It's not, I think, a moment the way that like, uh, you know. Bloody Sunday or whatever. Black Sabbath, yeah. yeah. Black Sabbath. I, I think those movies had more of a lasting impact, uh, especially on European cinema. Yeah. Whereas Lamberto Boppa is just, he's kind of like, a, yeah, he is fun, gore, because we're did he, here doing it. Did he direct, did he direct Demons 2? Mm-hmm. That movie, really, that is like, that is the fucking pinnacle of batshit Lamberto Boppa for me. Like, yeah. Demons is great. Demons 2 is like, is, uh, is far crazier. Oh, to yeah. Me. Yeah, well, and and I I'm sure there are people listening who are way bigger horror experts than us who are like, oh, well, you're not even talking about Lamberto Bava's most important movie, which is, you know, Death of the Death. I don't know what his other. I don't. I just know Demons. I'm sorry. He made two movies. He made Demons and Demons Two. That's all we need to know. And I know. I, I hope someone yells at us and carries on that we didn't mention. Um, Blast Fighter, Delirium, Rabid Dogs, A Blade in the Dark. Ten, wait, did he direct Tenebrae? No, 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 no. He was assistant director on Tenebrae. Whew. I was about to feel really stupid. Hey, it's fine, man. Spielberg didn't direct Poltergeist either, but you know, look where that got us. Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, hey there. Oh, we hi, have a, we have a, we have a I, special guest. Hi, baby. 
My little daughter Maeve is in the basement with us right now, wandering towards us, Wander, looking at us very confused. She's. Oh uh, yeah, what she happened? Has, she has her alien outfit on. That's for you. Oh, thank you, Maeve. She knows about your um, psychotic obsession with aliens. <laughs> she knows. She's like, "Oh, Dad, is your uh, is your overexcited Fred? Is Mister Justin here? Aliens? I have a shirt to terrify him and drive him into madness." Hi, Maeve. Hey, honey. Her t-shirt does have... It has a rocket ship. Beehive. A planet. What was that? It is a complete alien outfit. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> but she can't hear it, so she doesn't know. She doesn't understand the magic of, of recording. So you're saying that um, uh, Lombardo Bava's two good movies, Demons and Demons 2, completely eradicate the heritage of his dad, and we should just be talking about him. Good. Good to know. Sure. Good. Thanks, you can, you can You can isolate whatever I said about that. And, yeah, <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, no, but I mean, Mario Bava, I'm not a personally... I don't dislike him, but I'm just not particularly a fan of the giallo subgenre of horror films. Just because it, it sort of like ties in to slashers. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of slashers. So for me, there's never been much of a personal aesthetic appeal to Bava's films. Like, it's not something like, I don't like the work of Tom Six who did fucking uh, The Human Centipede. Like, I don't have like a revulsion or an opposition to watching his films. It's just, I, I, I never really, nothing about those films was like, hey, you might be into this. Like, it was like, oh, yeah. like, I don't necessarily think they're bad, but just knowing what I know about them, I was always like, oh, I probably wouldn't be into that. And I was wrong about uh, Hatchet for a Honeymoon. That movie was a blast. I feel like you might actually be down for more of his stuff than you realize, just because I think Hatchet for Honey for the Honeymoon is uh, more of a indicative of his style. You know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, I mean we'll 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 get there. Only 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 impact that movie has had on weird psychotic cinema uh, in the last thirty years or so. But before we go any further, we should let you guys know that this episode. Is brought to you by our friends over at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Not my fucking friends. They're your friends. <laughs> now, let's say that you had some sort of team, sure, for for doing irresponsible bouts of culinary exhibition. Oh, okay. And you wanted to get you wanted to make a T-shirt for like eating vegan pizza. I don't know why you would do that. That's something I would do. That's something I am going to do. And you needed a t-shirt for your team. I thought you were going to go with Quidditch. No. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't don't bring your don't bring your your Look, the only HP I support Actually, no, never mind. Scratch it out. Scratch it out. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're not going to go there. If you have a team of people who go around eating their vegan pizzas and reviewing it in a sportsmanlike manner and you need a t-shirt printed for that team. You can take your idea to Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, and they will help you print that T-shirt. They will help you design it. They will lay it out for you, and then they will print it for you. And then Liam will fold the shirt for you. I'll probably put it in a box. He'll put it in a box and tape it. I'll count it in. So much. I'll go in the office, and I'll say, hey, what's the count on the vegan pizza team shirt? And they'll know. And they'll say, I don't fucking know. Get out of the office. And Chris and will I'll have cry. a breakdown. <laughs> no, I, here, here's the reality. You need things printed. And every time you print somewhere that isn't LVAC, you make baby Jesus cry. Yes. 
or you don't. Maybe you want him to cry, and whatever it is that you want to have happen isn't happening. Yeah. Basically, come and print with us. Uh, it's a it's a great team. It's a professional team. Um, minus me, of course. And uh, I I just think that you should know that every time you print somewhere else, you're taking food out of the mouth of my child. Yes. And every time you print, you are causing every time you go to LVAC, you are causing a tiny bit of stress to Chris Reject. You're going to make him cry. Yeah. And what do we know? Each time you make Chris Reject cry. Yeah. An angel dies and falls from heaven. We don't want any more angels in heaven. <laughs> so let's make Chris Reject this cry. This is the worst. This is the worst great. ad we've it's ever done. It's great. Had. It's great. You should get stuff printed there. It's a great place. Yes, you can, to check it out, if, if for whatever reason you've heard what we've been saying and you were like intrigued by it, and they'll ship to anywhere, too. They, they, they have a variety of services. They print on T-shirts. They print on beer koozies. Yep. I've accused them of printing on Dr. Seuss hats and cod pieces. I don't know if they do, but they can. Pillowcases. Pillowcases. If you want to get my face printed on a, on a, on a pillowcase because you miss me. Jock straps. Jock straps. <laughs> Athletic supporters. Buttons. Buttons. Everyone likes buttons. They'll print that for you. Who doesn't like buttons? Robots and posers. Yeah, that's true. So if this intrigues you, if you want to know more, and I implore you to at least investigate, because I know there are people listening to this fucking podcast that get t-shirts made. I'm not going to name names, but I know you're out there. You can check it out at www.xlvacx.com. That's www.xlvacx.com. Chris Reject is so not straight edge. Mm. It fucking it makes my mouth burn to even say his name after uttering the name of my sacred and Liam's sacred vow. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely print with LVAC. Yes, they're very great. They're professional. Uh, Justin, did you want to ask me about something? Yeah, Liam, have you done anything involving horror films lately? So I recently watched a movie that I think came out last year, but for some reason, it played a couple festivals and then it went away. It's on Shudder. Okay. I don't know if it's, I don't know why, it just didn't get that much buzz. It's a movie called uh, Dead Shack. I have, yes, yes. How was it? Um, So I kind of get the reason, I mean, so let me just say, I'm over zombie films. And we talked about this when we talked about... Yeah, no uh, more zombie films. It stains the sands red or whatever. Um, I'm just kind of done with it. And this is yet another kind of zombie movie. Now, it's a little different. It's basically um, uh, a family is on vacation. The family's kind of fucked up. Uh, At a cabin nearby, there's a woman who has her family basically who knows how or when have been turned into zombies. She keeps them. Okay. She lures people back to her house to feed to the family. Cause in her mind, she thinks she's like keeping them alive. Now, of course they're zombies. They, she, you know that she's not, but in her mind, yeah, they eat people. Now she's going to get them people. The kids sort of discover her feeding two assholes who you hate to them, but then she wants to, she doesn't want to get found out. So she goes after the kids and it becomes sort of a thing. And what I will say about it is, uh, a lot of newer zombie movies, it takes them a while to get to the, like, let's kick some ass. Yeah, and yeah. With the kids, the movie moves kind of fast, so the kids pretty quickly put on padding and get a shotgun and an axe, and they're like, we're going to go get mm. some zombies. Though, to be fair, and this is also a plus, they don't know that there's, they don't, they, it takes them till, like, the end of the movie to figure out, they think they're dealing with a family of cannibals. Mm. They're like, oh, I think they're cannibals. We should go check this out. I think they're cannibals. And like it uh it takes them a while to kind of figure out like, oh, these things are dead. You know? Gotcha. And and, and no one says zombie. So I like that part I appreciated that it wasn't And there's no pre there's no, no. epidemic, it's just no, this no, family. No, no, just this family. Interesting. So that part with all that's interesting. But and it's uh, here's the thing about it. It's extremely 
well made for what it is, low budget movie. But yeah, it's well made. Special effects are good. It's snappy. The performances are great. But again, like I'm, I'm just so bored with zombie movies that like I watched it. I was like, oh, that's cool. But I couldn't imagine caring about it. It's the sort of film that, like, if you were at a film festival and it was like one of the movies you saw that day, you'd be like, oh, "Okay, that's fine." But it's yeah. not—it's not something to get excited about, which I guess is not great. I—it's uh, a ringing endorsement there. Well, it, it, I just feel—I feel bad because it, it is a smaller film, and I'd love to give it a huge endorsement and say go support this movie whatever. yeah 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 but I, again i think it's it's a smart movie it's it's done pretty well but i'm just not that interested in zombies as a as a thing anymore so it was kind of like fine it was you know it's like when you go to a show and there's like a very competent hardcore band but yes it just doesn't click you're just kind of like, yeah okay they're good that's fine they cover you know? right brigade you mosh out of obligation and it's fine you have a good time <laughs> um and uh, I think that's about it, actually. I've 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 been trying to catch up on um, more movies recently, but I just haven't had uh, haven't watched a lot of horror, unfortunately. Just caught that. Um, I'm trying to think if there was something else I finished that was horror. No, I guess it was just a check. I started Annihilation, but I haven't finished it yet. Ah, yes. Have you watched any trailers? Specifically, did you see the trailer for Meg starring Jason Statham? I did. I was at the. Well, I was wondering if this is where you were going. So I watched the Meg trailer. Steve Halton is just seeing the bags of money rolling in. I love it. Oh my gosh. Um, so okay, explain this to me. Is this the thing that you're excited about? Um, okay. When I was a child, I was a voracious consumer of horror fiction, and I some of those some of those some of the fiction that I consumed read. Um, actually shaped my adult view on horror. If you've probably, if you've, if you've ever listened to this, if you've ever talked to me in person extensively about it. Um, particularly, I'm, I'm talking more about the works of uh, writers like uh, Douglas Clegg or F. Paul Wilson or uh, Bentley Little. These the, these writers who they 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 write this 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 well crafted, um, weird fiction. Particularly, uh, you know, Bentley Little, who uh, I, he 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 kind of gave me the idea of uh i'm a firm believer in uh you shouldn't necessarily have to explain something weird happening in in, in a horror movie or or hard sometimes it just mm. terrifying inexplicable uh illogical shit happens and you know you have to deal with it i like that um but some of the stuff i read was not particularly uh you know uh mm-hmm. great and one of those books um now don't get me wrong. I I I've reread it a few times over the years and it's it's a lot of fun. And I don't mean that way like that's not like a um a bless your heart thing. You know what I mean like in the south it's like bless your heart is a way of saying like you don't know what the fuck you're talking about and like yeah. your your opinion is shit. Like it's actually it is it is a fun book. It's a book called it's called Meg by a guy named Steve Alton who um he wrote another book called Domain that has a rather interesting take on the 2012 phenomenon. This is book this book was written back in I believe 97 or 98. Um but I've always, for years now, I've always been amazed that in the in the sort of like climate that we have, where there's all these fucking movies about sharks, like you got the fucking dumbass Sharknado movies, you got fucking Go Shark versus Parachute Crocodile or whatever, you know, like <laughs> all these. You mean Sharktopus? Sharktopus versus you know Piranaconda. Megalodon. Megalodon. I've always been amazed that Steve Alton never. A got credit for sort of sparking that with because this guy was like 
this guy, I don't think people really understand that this guy started the obsession with the Megalodon. Yeah. Like, no one knew. I mean, I knew because I was a weird little kid who was like, oh, yeah. I'm, like, like up until I was maybe like 18, I firmly believe that there could still be Megalodons out there in the ocean. Steve Alton's responsible for putting that belief in me. Um, so I've always been like, how is there, how has this guy not been given like a movie deal? Like, how is he not, uh, how has Meg not been made into a movie, especially in this climate? And maybe it's it's coming a little bit after the after the wave is crested, but um, I think the fact that they've got like Rain Wilson and Jason Statham lined up in it, I think it might give it a little bit of a push into like getting people to see it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it looks ridiculous. It looks slightly better than like a sci-fi picture's original, but um, I got to admit that opening scene in the trailer where the little girl is like in the under underwater like research station and the fucking shark is just outside the window, that was really really creepy um and i i'm, I'm definitely gonna see it like opening day i you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend otherwise i'm not gonna pretend not be excited but i mean in a uh in a summer movie session that was kicked off by me and john wren from mandate the mandate seeing fucking rampage oh my god <laughs> i honestly we're not gonna talk about rampage you can you can you can go you can head over to the mandate to hear my thoughts on that you liked it right that's putting it lightly. I saw it in a theater full of children and film critics. <laughs> and that was like, all I'll say about it is this. I have not cheered and been that invested in a movie involving two non-human entities beating the fuck out of each other since I saw Terminator 2 in theaters when I was like nine years old. Like, I honestly was just like, like when the gorilla and the fucking crocodile are about to face off, I was like, I'm invested in this. <laughs> like, I have an actual stake in this. Like, I was that pulled into it. Um... No, but I mean, I I I, I watched uh, the trailer for Megalodon in the parking lot after leaving uh, the movie to see that. So maybe I or the Meg. So maybe I was just kind of sort of still in the zone to be like, oh yes, of course, another giant monster movie I can watch. Um, but no, I'm 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 excited for uh, for the Meg. I I hope they they lean a little bit into the more horror aspect of it than they do the action. I suspect they won't, but if they do lean into that horror aspect, I think it has potential to be quite horrific. I can't get excited about it. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, okay, I will watch it because I think it could be fun. I mean, Jason Statham is like so hit or miss, but when he's on, I'm kind of like, yeah. Same with Rain Wilson. Like, I, I think yeah. like Rain Wilson is like, I'm not a big fan of The Office, but but I just can't. I, I you know how I feel about sharks. They're not scary. A sixty-five foot shark that lives in the ocean. So that's what I'm saying. I'm kind of like, oh, it's big. I guess that's cool. But all the things. There's only a few things in the trailer that I was like, oh wow. A lot of things in the trailer. I'm like, oh god, here we go. All right. Yeah. All right. Mm, all right. It's funny. I watched it with my niece, and there's a scene in the trailer where the little pomeranian is like swimming, and then he sees the sharks and turns around the boat, and Bree was just like. Does he think? Does the dog think it's going to be safe on the boat? And I was just like, I don't know, honey. Like, I, I probably, I mean, probably, but I don't know. <sighs> um, as far as other trailers, have you seen this um, Dark Crimes trailer? Yes, with uh, with Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. I watched it with you. Yeah, I was. I don't know that on the show. <laughs> Shut up, Leo. It's just a radio oh. thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we watched it. I actually forgot we watched it together. I think it looks good. I think yeah, that's yeah. A, the, you know, and I, it's more on the thriller side, but I think it, it'll, you know, yeah, that counts. fall towards a horror thing. And then it's not a horror movie, but there's a movie coming out about Mary Shelley that I think is really interesting. Interesting. Um, 
for those of you who don't know, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, and she, her life was also. It wasn't just that she wrote Frankenstein; her life was also kind of interesting. And I, yeah, think, I think the film is kind of about that, but it it is clearly leading towards the crescendo of her writing Frankenstein. Which didn't she write like on a bet? Yeah, I mean, based so she, you know, Mary Shelley was was uh, married to the famous Shelley, whose first name I forget, Pierce Byron. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he was friends with another dude who was friend, who was famous at the time, Tom Cruise. No, you crazy person, Wings Hauser. <sighs> Morris Day. And so uh, what What sort of the movie details is she doesn't quite realize that these two are basically like uh, the you know, whatever Victorian version of players and uh, on this like wild sex. Rakes? Is that the term? Yeah, the rakes? on this basically what's supposed to be like a wild sex mm. weekend is when uh, his, his uh, Lothario friend is expressing his opinion about women, which is that they're not very smart and aren't, can't be really good at anything. And yeah, so, interesting. What's that guy's name again? Who gives a fuck? It's loss of history. Yeah, exactly. No, no. I mean, I think he's famous. Ah, fuck him. What, what is his name? Fuck. I should have paid more attention to this trailer. Point being is that it is like they're at this weekend retreat thing, and it's like a bet to write a scary story. Yeah. You know? And he's very doubtful that women could write anything interesting. And then she writes sort of what will eventually become Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? um, and it sort of the a little bit about the sexism she faces even trying to get the story published you know what i mean that people are just offended like why would a woman even write something like this i feel bad i've never read frankenstein oh it's really good it's really 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 good it's, i mean of course it's good it's like saying it's good might seem kind of stupid to say because it's kind of like so classic whatever but to me it is surprising because i don't expect classics to live up to their Sometimes I don't expect things that are classic to actually live up to the hype. Yeah, I think the right. only uh, the only like classic work of like classic horror that really packs a punch for me is um, the Horla Guy de Mossapons short mm. story. Mm-hmm. That shit still gives me fucking nightmares. <sighs> Did you also see the trailer for Beast? No. Um, I, I'm assuming it's a play off of Beauty and the Beast, but uh, it's like a young woman falls in love with a dude. Dude hmm. seems kind of sketch. Yeah, Meanwhile, sus, as they say. He's a, he seems a little sus, but she's very much into him, and he very much seems like he cares for her. But also, there's a bunch of missing girls. Ah. Oh. And I think it sort of becomes about whether he might be a murderer or something. Yeah, and uh, I thought the trailer looked really interesting. So, again, check maybe, that out. maybe a little too romantic for some of you. Who yes. would just like your horror to be just a bunch of dead people, but I think it was very horror adjacent. Yes. How about you, Justine? Uh, I, in other horror news, did you hear that Three from Hell, the Rob Zombie Devil's Rejects sequel has wrapped filming? So I heard that. Um, what I couldn't do, though, was um, find care. it in yourself to care. <laughs> yeah. I just, it just seemed like every day it was like, oh, of course, the little guy from 31 is in it now. Oh, of course, Richard Brake is in it now. Like, I'm expecting any day now for like, they announce that like Ken Foray is in it. You know what I mean? It's just like, I mean, I'm going to go see it, but I don't know. I th- I think that was kind of like. I, I've sort of softened on the Devil's Rejects a little bit, but I think it's definitely like lightning in a bottle. So, um, it's just worth bringing up because it's you know horror related. I did finally before I get onto the big thing I'm going to talk about with what I've done recently. I did finally see my friend Dahmer. Oh yeah, you like? Um, oh my god, it was so good. Yeah, I really. Liked I actually rewatched it the other night, and um, 
it was just I, I I think the part that gets like there there've been a a number of people who've expressed concern about watching that movie because they don't want to watch a film that uh, romanticizes or sympathizes with a serial killer, which is a completely reasonable concern. You don't want to um you don't want to gloss over the fact that this guy killed seventeen young men, you know, and 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 caused insurmountable and incalculable amounts of pain to dozens of people. Um, but there is something fascinating about Jeffrey Dahmer. And I've always, I've always felt that, um, you know, even, even knowing the bare minimum about him, um, it's always struck me as, as, as there's something like, I don't, I, I've never understood how people were like, Oh, like Charles Manson and these people like there, there's like the fanboy, uh, aesthetic to like Charles Manson, and, like Ted Bundy and Richard Ramirez. When I think like Jeffrey Dahmer is a much more fascinating figure. Um, well, I think the Charles Manson thing is like, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot around his association, I think, culturally with various cultural figures. No doubt. Yeah. And I think there's a feeling that, um, the case, he, he, his was the first case in which it felt to some people that he bore the brunt of this thing. Yeah. Where they couldn't necessarily prove how present he was. No, but, and so I think there's, I think that, built up this little cult of personality thing around him where it's kind of like oh they're railroading charlie they're railroading yeah, yeah. charlie now don't get me wrong i personally think he he got everything he deserved so yeah, whatever fuck him. but but i understand that like if you are if you choose to be you could be skeptical and say like he's a bad dude who probably sh- yeah. should have gone to jail but the country was very excited to punish him oh that. my god yeah and so i think it's okay to be a little skeptical about that, but I think it's it's harder for me because he's such a shitty example. Like he's so clearly an awful human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas like we're also murdering innocent Black Panthers. Like if I'm gonna feel bad for somebody, it's gonna be the American Indian movement, not fucking yeah. Charlie Manson. Yeah, not not yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I, I I think the thing with like Jeffrey Dahmer is like that happened. I remember when that happened. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like like Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Richard Ramirez, Berkowitz, all that stuff happened before i was around but did you feel like the movie was even that sympathetic no 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 and that and and that's what i'm getting at i mean it definitely it it definitely showed like a more human side the Dahmer. i don't i won't say it romanticized him or it 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 it, it made you sympathetic towards him because um you know liam talked about it in our last episode jeffrey Dahmer in this movie is just like the actor who plays him does this amazing job of just he's this blank slate you know, he's like a shadow in the middle of like like a brightly lit, you know, there's all this stuff happening. You know, these kids are excited because it's like senior year of high school and they're doing all this cool shit. And just Jeffrey Dahmer's in the middle of it. And he's just this unknowable, unknown entity, like a like an unknown quantity. And it's just fascinating to see the way that he interacts with people because it really is like there's nothing going on there. There's like, the, the, you know, the, 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 like well, look, there, it's not that there's nothing going on there. It's just the facade he is putting out there is so transparent and empty that it's like what's actually going on, you know, in the scenes where it's just him is like fucking terrifying when, when, when they sort of like when he drops the mask, so to speak, it also weirdly nailed the feeling of like spring of your senior year of high school. Like I really, that like I was watching it and I was like, fuck, this is making me nostalgic for shit that I haven't thought about in almost 20 years. And then, like I said, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I think the best part of this is, uh, I believe his name is Dallas Roberts who plays uh, Lionel Dahmer. Like his portrayal of, of 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 Jeffrey's father is just haunting, um, as a man who is like looking at his son, and is like 
there's something going on there that I'm not equipped to deal with. And maybe I'm too proud to admit that I can't deal with it and I'm going to try to deal with it and I can't and I don't know what to do about that. And it's I, I do think that if there is a tragic figure in this story, it is it is Lionel Dahmer to see this play out. And, you know, I, I went down the rabbit hole of uh, researching uh, Dahmer after this. And it's he, he said something like like Lionel Dahmer said something about how um, ever since after the murders, he's been like looking back on what his son has done. And he's like, every single thing my son has done, I now see through the lens of like, was that the turning point when I could have stopped it? And that there's something there's something really sad about that. But no, I mean, it's it's it, it, it just the whole movie was like tremendously tense, tremendously awkward. Uh, they take a little bit of liberties with some stuff from what I've read, um, but it doesn't it doesn't take away from the movie. Um, it doesn't present Dahmer as anything other than he actually was, which was, again, an unknowable, unknowable, unknown entity in the middle of the fucking 70s high school, which is great. And then uh, before we get into the actual episode, I saw a little movie called The Quiet Place. It's actually called A Quiet Place. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I also tried to go see it last night in anticipation of the fact that you'd want to talk about it. Unfortunately, I could not get my shit together to go. So I still um, if you want to read a detailed review of it, you can head over to cinepunks.com. Our man, Brendan Foley wrote an excellent review of it. I was lucky enough to see it with cinepunks, own Adriana Gober. Mm-hmm. She witnessed full hand, first hand, full, I like the idea. Full hand, <laughs> shirt clutched. Full, my 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 hand was full of my shirt clutching at my chest. No spoilers. I don't want to talk at length about it, but holy god, this movie from the gate is the hype is real. Like the hype about this movie is one hundred percent real. It was a near perfect movie, and I can point out there were two instances that kept it from being perfect for me. But I've had nightmares about this movie. Yeah, I've I, I've woken up like oh god like evil venom monsters might be down the hall already like it's just it's far scarier than the trailers let on it's far more tense than the trailers are, are, are letting on I, I i've seen people accuse it of being gimmicky and i'm like that's not gimmicky it's quite well made i almost got up and walked out of the theater at least a half a dozen times because i was like I, this isn't healthy for me this isn't i can't <laughs> like i have forgotten to breathe at several points like my ch- i'm having chest pains from forgetting how to breathe sure and like uh like I, I was in, like, a- afterwards, I, you know, I had to go grocery shopping, and I'm in Giant, just walking through Giant, wandering the aisles, like, still fucking shook. And, like, three hours over, someone's, like, cell phone rang, and I jumped. I was like, fuck, like, turn it off. Like, what are you going to try to get killed? Um, <laughs> it, it just, like, it, it, it's, like, the only movie that I've ever watched before that walking out of it, I had that profound, like, fuck, I don't feel safe right now, was, um, this is going to sound super corny, but Zack Snyder's remake of Dawn of the Dead. When I saw that for the first time, I walked out of the theater like afterwards, and I was like, okay, make my peace, because I'm about to be torn apart, yeah. eaten by zombies, they're going to run at me. You just, like, the whole movie, you just feel unsafe. Like, sure. it really sets a tone early on, um, and those who have seen it know what I'm talking about, where you honestly feel like you don't know what's going to happen, and it feels very unpredictable, um, but no, go see this movie if you haven't. It's it, it's it's every every word of hype you've heard is one hundred percent true. I'm pretty excited to see. Yeah, it. I mean, it's kind of a bummer that Krasinski's jumped on the whole like post har elevated har train. And I was like, you know, when that when that interview first came out, I was like, you know, kind of bummed, but whatever. I mean, not everyone understands that there were horror movies around before it follows. There were. 
There were, believe it or not. Oh, my God. And we're going to be talking about two today. We are, yeah. They're around way before it follows. So far before it follows. <laughs> no disrespect. Also, shout out, I want to give a shout out to the dudes at uh, the Horrified Podcast for saying... Um, for their nice little thing they said on Twitter about us. Go check it out. You should check their podcast yeah. out. Sorry I said that yawning. That is yeah, the wrong uh, message. You should check them out, I guess. Yeah, so. you, should, you should check their podcast out. They seem pretty cool. I mean, obviously, the second coolest thing about them, besides the quality of their podcast, is that they like our podcast. So yeah, and they're Corman. They're, they're also, they're also Edgman. I like Are they that. Edgman? Uh, Justin Abney is, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So shout out to my friend Justin X Abney. The X is for straight edge. Well, I guess that means that he won't have to die when the time comes. When the revolution comes. <laughs> when we take it all back street by street and block by block. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So I guess we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about 1970s Hatchet for a Honeymoon, a.k.a. the Red Sign of Madness. Is that really what? Red Sign of Fucking Madness? Fucking man. That's Fuck. the coolest alternative title I've ever seen. All right. We'll be right back. Talk about 1970s Hatchet for a Honeymoon. Hatchet for a Honeymoon. Is it for a or for the? I actually don't know. Uh, I have for a. Hold on. The. It's, it's for the. It's okay. Hatchet for, for the Honeymoon. 
AKA, as we said before, the red sign of madness, which is actually a much cooler and actually accurate title because there are no hatchets in this movie. No, it's weird. He very, the first time we see him with a cleaver in the film. Yes. I think. Oh, it's fine. It's yeah. one of a variety of tools with which he will use. But actually, he has a focus on the, the cleaver. The cleaver is a very distinct thing. It's but, And it's his only weapon. It's like the cleaver talks to him yeah. in some way. It's like his thing. It means something for him. So why name the movie Hatchet for the Honeymoon other than the alliteration? There's no reason at all. Um... I think maybe because it would appeal more to American audiences. Yeah, I think there's alliteration. I mean, like, let me be clear. I would fucking watch a movie called Red Sign of Madness in a heartbeat. But you know, Hatchet for Honeymoon definitely has. Uh, this came out in the seventies too. So I mean, it def- well, and let's be clear. The Red Sign of Madness is the. Ita- I mean, it's an Italian movie. Yeah, that's the Italian name. Uh, uh, what is il, the title il, in Italian? Il Rosso Segno della Follia. Now, none of that pronunciation was very accurate. No, but I borderline did, offensive. But I did shake my hand while I said yes, it. Yes, yes. So that made it feel more authentic. It did feel more authentic. Um, I have to say, after watching this movie, uh, we're going to get into plot and stuff, but I just want to preemptively say, because I'm sure she'll listen to this episode, big thank you to uh, Adriana, yes. who was the one who pointed out to me that if you go to the extended cast section oh, shit. on any Italian film that is dubbed into English, that's where you will find the dubbers. And the reason is, that, okay, so this is the thing. I was surprised she was in, her, Austin uh, Vashaw, and only a couple other people responded to this. I think most people have never thought about this before, and I don't fucking know why. If you have paid attention when you've watched these Italian films, a lot of Italian horror films, a lot of Italian films in this era in general, yes, but especially Italian horror films, they're dubbed. They're and and they're not dubbed. I, uh, when I say they're dubbed, I think what people sometimes think is that they're dubbed in the sense of like uh, an episode of Dragon Ball Z or like the Godzilla movies. You know, where yeah, they, it's, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. fucking running joke amongst hack comedians, like. But the reality is, a lot of times, there was no live sound at all. Yeah. And so sometimes, yes, the actor who was in the movie would come and they would do their lines. But in a lot of these movies, um, someone else altogether would come in. And if you've watched enough of these movies, people's voices become familiar to you. Interesting. Even though the actor is someone you've never seen before. And so it was. It wasn't actually this movie. It was the other one we watched, uh, Bloody Sunday. But I wanted to bring it up now. Just uh, Bay, of, Bay, Bay of Blood. Bay of Blood. Right. Uh, just because it was on my mind. There was a voice actor in Bay of Blood that I've heard in uh, fifty other movies, and the actor was not. You know, there no one in this movie was in that movie was necessarily familiar to me. So I knew there's this voice actor, or whatever. And I just I just brought it up, and she pointed out that you can go. So if you're watching, it's true for Hatcher for the Honeymoon. There's a number of dubbed people in the film i mean everyone's dubbed but there's a number of dubbed people who probably aren't the actor or actress you're seeing on screen yes if someone's voice sounds familiar to you if you go to imdb and you go to the extended cast you can see the dub uh performers who dubbed the various things who probably you've heard in other films interesting i'm gonna have to dive down that rabbit hole later yeah definitely so uh hatchet for a honeymoon aka the red sign of madness released on june 2nd 1970 starring stephen forsyth stephen forsyth uh Daggett, Dagmar, Dagmar Lassender, Lauren Betty, Laura Betty, Jesus Puente, and Femi Bonise. Benusi. 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 I'm honestly, can you imagine like William Forsyth in this role? Yeah. That'd be like, you know, he'd walk and be like, talk to the detective. The detective comes in and he's like, I think you're doing this. She's like, you ain't got the balls to arrest me. <laughs> you ain't got the balls. I got the balls to do this. 
So the plot of this movie is um it's nothing crazy. Um I mean well, it's cra- I mean it's definitely by definition crazy. But uh Stephen Forsyth plays what's it John John Harring- Harrington. John Harrington. John Harrington. A 30-year-old fashion designer who's way older than 30 in this movie. Yeah. Um he's suffering from what what is he he's a paranoic yeah, he's, pa- he's a paranoid. Well, and the English translation is a little d- bit different. In the original Italian, he claims to have an Oedipus complex, which makes sense. But I, I love that he calls himself like a paranoid because that's like one step away from I've got brain fever. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like yeah, I mean, paranoid is not a term even then no, that was being no, used. No, but it's just a, a convenient Hollywood term for like you cray. Yeah, yeah. So he plays this like young fashion designer. He's successful, and he's he has this fixation with killing young women. Where they have like like on their bridal night, they're wearing like the veil, and he has to kill them. And he um he has this cleaver that he does it with, and um he's gotten away with it like six or seven times. He buries the women in his his hot house, which is his like, greenhouse. Well, and part of the reason he's doing it is he has a traumatic memory as a child he's trying to reclaim. And every time he kills a woman, he gets a little piece of that memory back. So, which again, isn't how su- suppressed memories work. Not at all. Not even close. Um, so the basically driving plot of this movie is that like, he's killing these women to sort of find out what happened to him as a child that I guess made him this way. It's weird circular logic. And then you add into it his wife, played by Laura Betty, who is very like, I made you what you are. It's my money that built this empire. This company was failing when you married me. And you'll ne-. and he's always like, I want to get a divorce. Like they bring it up so casually at breakfast. He's like, sits down and he gets his paper and he's like, Yes, yeah, the um I see my racehorse one today. Let's get a divorce. And she's like, I'll never get a divorce. He's like, I'll get the divorce. And it's like, you know, whatever. So and then you have uh, Jesus Puente plays like a uh, like a Italian ins- or a French inspector because I think it takes it takes place in France because at the end there's the Eiffel Tower, um, who's like on his case because women are fucking dis- his his ex employees are disappearing, um, and then it's just uh the movie's about him um you know eventually he kills his his wife uh, about halfway through, and then in this like weird twist of things like usually it's yeah. It's sort of like, you know, usually when, like, there's, like, the guilty conscience, it's like, you see the person, but no one else can. So it's it's kind of like a, um, like a telltale, telltale heart when, like, the protagonist can hear the, his, the beating of his cursed heart, but, like, the inspectors can't. In this movie, everyone else can see his dead wife, and he can't. And I think that's, like, kind of interesting. Like, there's a scene where they're at, the, he's at the bar, or at, at, at the club, the disco, and, um... The wait, waiter, waiter, waiter comes over and he's like, what, what will sir have? And he's like, I'll take a whiskey. And he's like, whiskey for the sir, sherry for the madam. And it's like, there's no one in, chair, in this chair next to him. So um, it's actually kind of a weird subplot that his wife is like a phantom that he can't see. But I actually think it's one of the more interesting things about the movie. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if this plot sounds familiar, you know, there's this rich guy who's secretly a killer. Um there's a lot that was taken from the cinematic version of American Psycho that is that is, I I was seeing in this movie like, there's a lot of voiceover. Um, I think this character is a bit more of a, of a reliable narrator than than Patrick Bateman was, but especially in the beginning when he's like, you know, my name is John Harrington. I'm 30 years old. I am paranoid and I'm completely mad and I've killed seven women so far. Like, it was a it was it was a very very close. Uh, it, it reminded me a lot of American Psycho. Okay, how uh, did you how 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 did, how did you feel about this movie? So, um, I mean, first of all, I think uh, 
this is an interesting place for us to start. Uh, Hatchet for the Honeymoon has always been considered one of Baba's sort of lesser films. Yes. But uh, there's something about it that feels a little bit personal just in the way they show this guy. Like, he is not a good dude. No. In any way, shape, or form. But there's this there's this idea that um, he's kind of struggling with something, and he's so focused on his own kind of thing that the haunting by his wife seems a reminder that, like, the world is bigger than your thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. the way he starts the movie, like, I'm a paranoiac. It's like he set the whole drama to be about him. It's not about these women he's murdering. It's about him. And of course. He's trying to get to the truth of who he is. And then, A, I mean, there's this whole weird thing, like, that he hasn't killed his wife, right? Like, I'm, why, yeah. why hasn't he killed his wife? The whole movie they, you're waiting for they, him to just... They hate each other. He kills women. He's into it, apparently. Yeah, yeah. And he's just, you know, it just never occurred to him. And then when it finally does, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it seems like uh, when that happens, there's almost a feeling of like, uh, that this is a triumphant thing for him. He's he's really taking this thing, which is almost like a burden. He doesn't want to be killing these women, but he does too. You know, it's like that, that sort of like psychotic killer, like, I don't want to do this, but I have to do it. Yeah. When he kills his wife, it's like, hey, I didn't have to do that, but I'm I really, really want it to. Really yeah. I'm glad I did, you know? And then that at that moment, that's when he starts to lose power. Like, you really feel like before that, he could do this forever. He's just going to keep killing women. The police kind of know it's him, but they don't. They can't prove anything. That inspector is like the worst inspector of all time. Well, I mean, I think there's a suggestion that the uh, so oh, spoiler alert. He the the wife doesn't reveal anything. It's not like he gets tricked or whatever. But he is maybe a little less careful because he's so stressed out because of the being haunted by his wife. I yes. Don't know. But he gets a situation with a young woman who has kind of seemed like she kind of knows something's going on. And then it turns out she's working with the police. Maybe yes. She might even be a police officer for all I know. I don't know. Yeah. But the point is, is that she sets him up and he's caught because of uh, that. And there's a feeling to me of like, that all starts like he's he's kind of lost control when the wife comes back to haunt him. Yes, know? that that's that's when it that's when he goes truly mad because bef- like throughout most of the movie he's kind of wearing his madness as like not as a point of pride but it's very like of course I'm mad. <laughs> I'm so clever. I'm one step ahead of this, you know, witless inspector <laughs> because I'm so smart and blah blah blah. And then it's like once he starts to have these uh, once he's once this this stuff happens where like he's starting to question his sanity to the point of he digs his wife's body up to make sure that he actually killed her. Right. And that's when it starts to like that's when the facade, you know, starts to fall apart and the actual madness uh sets in. Well and and again, the the police officer seems pretty clueless, but he must not have he must have known something was going on or he wouldn't have set this up to catch i mean he even said numerous times he's just like when when they when when they first show up and um it's right after he kills his wife and her like they're the the sort of to give you like a like a like a visual and like an image of it is he's speaking with these people these these officers in his like dining room or foyer or lobby or whatever and there's like a stairwell that goes up to his 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 quarters and his his dead wife is right there on the fucking stairwell, like literally ten feet away Not from the, the ghost, like her his, dead his body. actual her her still warm dead body, and her hand is like dripping blood, like think like uh, like night of the living dead, like the blood is like dripping on the floor, 
again, feet away from, from the detective. And, and Harrington is like looking at this, like, fuck, I'm fucking caught. And the detective's like, all right, well, you know, good evening, sir. And he walks out and he's like, oh, one more thing. It's interesting. So what's interesting is like, it's chilly out, but you're sweating profusely. Anyway, have a good night. Like this professor, this, this, uh, this, this inspector knows, like, I got you, motherfucker. I just got to get the evidence for it. Like you, you've done something. I just have to find out. I just have to nail you with something besides like circumstantial evidence. Well, and I think that that's that, um, that turnaround even would feel more, um, epic. You know, it's like two rivals and, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's yeah, all yeah, these yeah. romantic ways to display this kind of story. Yeah. And all of that gets a bit deconstructed by the ghost wife. Yes. As soon as ghost wife shows up, our man is fucked. He can't get his shit together. He's no longer smooth. I mean, here's the thing. The dude wears these fucking shitty tunic things. Like oh, he's a just, he's... shirt with a belt over it. The whole fucking movie. He looks like a doofus. He is a doofus. But before the dead wife starts showing up, he's so smooth and you just kind of go, well, it's the 70s. I guess this is cool then. He looks, but he just looks evil. Like he looks. Sure, sure, sure. But my point is, is that he's self-assured. Yes. And then the, the, I mean, this is what's so funny when he kills her, right? The only person in the world who doesn't give a shit, it seems like, for him and his bullshit is the wife. Yeah. He kills her. Great actress. She's great. Yeah, she's actually in her next movie as well. Yeah. Uh, and then when her ghost comes back to fuck with him, it just sets him off so much that, like, it really takes apart kind of the mystery of it. And, and I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know if this is just the story Bob wanted to tell or if there's, like, a meta level of, like, maybe we romanticize these figures and he's kind of, like, sh- showing this dude is being bullshit. Like, the dude's by the, by the end when it's like, he's like, oh, well, I finally figured it out. I, the reason I'm having these... Memory. I mean, a spoiler, but come on, this movie's from 1970. Yeah. He's it, basically what happened was he was very attached to his mom. Uh, after his dad died, his mom remarried. He can't fucking take it. And then he murdered his stepdad and his mom while they were fucking, basically. Yeah, he's watching his. He's, he's watching, watching his stepdad and his mom have sex. And yeah, he's, he's being rages. cucked by his own mother. <laughs> and he rages out and he murders yeah. them both. And that's why he's been having these memories. And so, in a sense, at the end, he's kind of like, it's all worth it. I have some peace. And yet he does it because dead wife's like, oh, remember how before everyone could see me, but you couldn't. Now it's the other way around forever and ever yeah. and ever. I'm going to haunt like, you. She, she says to him, like, you know, you're going to go to the insane asylum and you're gonna, I'll be with you there. And then I'll be with you in hell. Like it's, And then like the last, he's just looking at the night sky, looking at, at the window of the, of the padded truck that he's in. And he's, he's, he's yearning for freedom. Um, but one one thing I I want to kind of talk about this movie is how it it, it really does. Um, like I'm not I haven't watched much in the giallo. I haven't watched many gialli. I believe it's a plural, plural term. I would say this is different than a lot of the giallo. But I'm saying I have watched it has a it features a lot of the same imagery. Sure, you know what I mean. It has like the like one of the things that's big in like Argento films is like the black gloves, right? And that's what he's he's wearing the black gloves. And there's a lot of like from the killer's perspective shots. Um, there's a lot of these like these like rapid uh, pull-ins on characters' faces, like you know, with the jarring music to sort of like you know set you aside, you know, to sort of set you uh, off kilter, I guess. Um, a lot of the camera work and the cinematography is is very reminiscent of uh, of of particularly the one scene. Um, he has a secret room where he keeps like these like mannequins and they have like bridal dresses on them. And there's this one shot where he's walking towards his desk that he keeps his, 
his meat cleaver in his very light and inadequate looking meat cleaver might I add. And he's like walking towards it. And it's just the way that the light plays on his face. It's, it, it just reminded me of like an Argento film. Yeah. I mean, I think the visuals and the lighting in this film are pretty incredible. Um, and kind of highlight at least the technical mastery of Baba. Like, yes. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I've watched more than Justin, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert. So do I think that Baba's like this groundbreaking director? I'm not sure, but I will say that this, uh, visual style in both of these movies is like really impressive. Yes. He's able to do a lot, uh, that heightens, uh, you know, uh, just a reminder for anyone who forgets, you know, this is a visual medium, you know, like this story in some aspects might feel a little corny, but the story isn't just told through, writing an interesting plot. Yes. The story is told through how you shoot it and how you sh- show the audience a scene. And in that sense, uh, it's super intense. It's done really well. And and parts are just beautiful, even when they don't need to be. I mean, he's about to stab some girl in a bridal <laughs> outfit. It's not like, it's not a scene that needs to be striking to tell the story, but it is. I, I think the one scene that, that, that was that was the most, I, I, I don't even know if this was like stock footage, but even if it was stock footage, edit it in a way to, to fit into the movie. The scene towards the end when the inspector is racing towards Harrington's mansion and um, he's driving, they're driving through downtown Paris and like the Eiffel Tower is like in the background and it's sort of this weird, I don't even know if I can adequately describe the way it looked because anything I can say is going to fall short in describing it. It's like sped up slightly. And it just has this weird dreamlike feel to it. Yeah. Because from the perspective it's shot at and the speed it's played at and the scene it's being cut into, it really, um, like the setting of this movie doesn't really play, doesn't have much of a role in, 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 in this film. It's not like a, um, it's not like a Larry Cohen movie where like New York is very present in those movies. Sure. Yeah. Like Paris is not present. I mean, aside from maybe the fashion industry, but it could be, it could be Paris. It could be Naples. It could be, Upstate New York, it doesn't really play a huge part in it, but that scene in particular where he, you know the, the the inspector is like racing towards the house and and the, and the Eiffel Tower is it's it's very it's very dreamlike, which which again plays into um, the aesthetics of the Gialli subgenre is this weird dreamlike imagery um, that 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 heightens the uh, surrealness of the movie. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, it's it, it's not for for folks who prefer modern. You know, I just want to acknowledge if you prefer more modern horror, this is still, even though it's a gialli, it has some gothicy aspects to it. Oh, the it the storyline is a classic gothic storyline. Yeah, line. and so um, if you're looking for razor blades in the dark. You know, this isn't quite, you know, uh, uh, you know, sexy women clutching their necks. Is, yes. Is not exactly what this is. Um, there's a little bit of, uh, of, um, tension, maybe a little bit of grit, but it, it still feels, uh, even the, I, even the way he presents himself to us is so romanticized. You know, Gialli, it would be, at least some of the ones that I've seen. Yeah. Are a little more dirty. You know, our killer, when you finally see them, is some fucking sweaty, gross guy. There's sort of dude you picture jerking off in a subway, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna kill these women." You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. It's there's a little bit more. Uh, this is this dude. It's kind of romantic. And again, Harrington is like. I do really think the wife is there to deconstruct Harrington to some extent, yes. intentionally or no. That's how she functions. Is that Harrington is that? But just the way he put. 
I'm a paranoic and uh, you know like it's so romanticized a little bit that like if if you're looking for that w- little bit of grime aspect to it's it it's not here that's not there that being said I don't know it's it was it was incredibly effective yes I felt super entertaining and the performances are like the they're not quite chewing the scenery uh but that makes it good you know like uh, well, they're, they're uh, intense but they're really the, good. the one thing that i liked is just like stephen forsyth i'm kind of sad this guy didn't do more right this dude looks like a fucking evil creature like right i mean i don't know liam i don't think you've read it but anyone out there who's ever read lock and key and this is the second time in like three episodes i've brought it up but you should read it if you're if you've read lock and key if you're familiar with the character of Dodge, who's like the antagonist, this guy looks like Dodge when he's evil. Like he's got these piercing eyes and this like weird chiseled cheekbones. He just and like there's a scene where he's like shaving and I'm like, there was no hair there to begin with. Like he has like the smoothest, closest shave I've ever seen. And I know that's a weird thing for me to like focus on, but this guy, he looks like a mannequin almost. Like his skin has like mannequin y like a mannequin y a word I made up, texture to it. He just looks evil and and piercing and haunting, which uh, to to kind of go back on um, to kind of reference uh, American Psycho again. I I know like if if that is like the the movie where a rich guy is secretly a killer, like I think uh, what's his real Christian Christian Bale. I forgot Christian Bale's name. I think Christian Bale in that movie he he kind of uh, he does a really good job of portraying the sort of like blank slate serial killer. And this is a little more cartoonish than that, but. Even so, like, the scenes where he is just, like, walking around and just existing, like, Stephen Forsyth has a, has an air of real menace in this movie um, that he does merely, not like, um, like, in a lot of slashers, like, it's not like, uh, like, Michael Myers or something, some supernatural slasher, like, he, he just, his very existence, like, when he's on screen, he just has, like, a sinister air to him that I think really works. There's a sense uh in the film that the the woman who finally turns out is there to set him up. Is that Dagmar? Uh I guess so, yeah. Um I don't actually know. Uh she is the, Dagmar's not the uh the wife? No, the wife is Laura Beatty. Um also Dagmar's clearly the name of an alien that arrived on Earth and was like, Hello humans. Hello fellow humans, no. I am Dagmar. No, she might just be Swedish. Hello fellow humans, I too am human. <laughs> Point being is that this particular young woman um it's funny because he and this is a trope you see in these films right where there's the killer guy right and then there's this one woman that he just finds so different he so just mysterious. knocked asunder yeah he's just like maybe i won't murder this exactly one. and that's it it reminded me again to play it's chloe savini's character in american psycho the right. one who's just he can't bring himself to kill because he's like I'm captivated by this specimen. I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's how he feels about her is like, mm-hmm. like he's going to kill her. He's going to fucking but, kill but, her. But that's why I like that. She ends up being the setup. Yes. Anyway, yes. Like, I like that to it that like, he doesn't get to own that situation. No, no, and it's I, great. And, it's great. And I think in a way, that's why I wish I, 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 again, not that this movie is hated or anything like that, but it doesn't get to me the respect it deserves. And I think that, part of the reason it should is this kind of some of the relationship stuff that's there like that like that this particular character is just kind of unexpected that 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 whole plot line of like oh maybe this will be the one that i die it's it kind of yeah yeah yeah. it doesn't matter you know like she she's she's there to get you and now you you got got you know 
I, I also think it's the, the, the idea of, um, I mean, I, I wish this was more developed in this movie was this idea that he's, he's killing these women. He, he's killing these women out of, uh, he has, he's telling himself that he has this purpose to regain this memory. He, this, this memory he has to try to gain some sort of deeper understanding to why he is the way he is. And uh, not to bash this movie, because I do think it's entertaining nonetheless, and I do think it works, but I do think there's potential for something like a, like a more compelling storyline where we have a, 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 a villain or, or, or a protagonist who is villainous. Um, who is searching for this memory? He he is a he's a certain way. He is he 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 does these things that are monstrous. He does these things that are inhumane. He does these things that are are are, are evil. And society has told him is bad. But he he's convinced himself he's doing these things in order to gain an understanding as to why he's doing these things, which again is like sort of circular. But I think it lends to the air of madness that this guy has. And I do think it, there's something beautiful about he he is he spends the whole movie searching for understanding and some sort of inner clarity. And when he finally gets it, when he finally understands why he is the way he is, you know, the chief comes in and just dumps a bunch more paperwork on his desk. And that is his fucking dead wife who's going to haunt him forever. Yeah. Like, I really think there is something that could have been, like, truly amazing about that if it was explored further and highlighted a little bit better about a yeah. man who was searching for something and is searching for some kind of understanding and, and, and clarity and catharsis. And he finally fucking gets it. And then, boom, life just dumps another fucking steaming pile of shit on his desk. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah, something yeah. just gorgeous about that. Yeah. Anyways, I, I really liked it. I think... Um... I think if you haven't given it a chance, I, I, I don't know if it's the best Baba to jump in with, um, but it's the one we chose because yeah. we like the title. We were going to do Lisa and the Devil. Yeah. We actually, and we were like, oh, which cut are we going to watch? And in the process of searching for the cut to watch of Lisa and the Devil, Liam was like, holy shit, there's a movie called Hatchet for the Honeymoon? And I was like, that's what we're doing. Uh, we'll do another Baba episode, though. So oh, yeah, no I mean, doubt. We're about to do a Bay of Blood, which I think is a little more popular than this movie. Yeah, I think... But, um, but I think, you know, uh, apparently Scorsese's favorite is Kill Baby Kill, so we got to do that. Yes. You mean Kill Baby Ellipsis Kill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we'll, we will do Lisa and the Devil or yeah. the other one soon, so don't worry about it. But which, I, I think if you uh, haven't watched Hashtag for the Honeymoon recently, I, I liked it. I thought it was really great. It was very good. I, I, very entertaining. Um Again, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not a giallo expert, but I just, I love that aesthetic. I love like the, 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 I just, the way it looks, the way the characters interact, like the, the sound of it. It's very, I don't know. I mean, I, is, is that, is, is that what the kids are talking about? The ASMR? Yeah. A lot of this shit gave me that feeling. Like, <laughs> like, in a, like, it, like, you know, in those like seventies cop movies, the sound their shoes make yeah, on the floor. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. a lot of this movie had like the way, like the, the, the drinks he would make his, his fancy whiskey drinks. It just, I don't know. It just like everything about this movie was like, oh, I love it. I just love the way everything interacts and the way yeah. everything looks and the way people talk and like yeah. the way uh, this is another thing I like. There's, there's a lot of emphasis on the way this, 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 uh, John Harrington, uh, yeah, William Forsythe's character, uh, Stephen Forsythe's character, when he would like touch certain things, there would be this lingering like caress. That's just. Ah, I don't know. It's just it's just great, and I I I, 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 I wish they would they would do more like more stuff like that. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a bay of blood. We'll be right back.
and we are back to talk about 1972's Bay of Blood, a.k.a. Ecology of Crime, a.k.a. Carnage, a.k.a. Twitch of the Death Nerve, a.k.a. A Bloodbath. I like a blood a bloodbath. I felt like fucking Method Man, like shouting out like Wu-Tang when they're on their like... <laughs> I love it. I, that's another thing I love about these movies, is they have like 40 titles, and it's, they're all like... They're all great. <laughs> Well, I mean, distribution was just different back then. Like, you would put out a movie, it'd only play in a couple countries, and then you'd sell it to another market, and then they would retitle it, and sometimes even recut it and release it there. And so some of these things actually have, like, different versions and stuff. You know, like, we didn't do Lease and the Devil, but Lease and the Devil later had an exorcism thing put into it. And so it didn't, so did, 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 didn't Hatchet for a Honeymoon have, like, an exorcism cut into it, too? Not that I read. Or was that just that was that was okay? That was me carrying over from 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 a yeah. When we were trying to figure out which version of Lisa the yeah. Devil that we could watch. sort of like how pigs had the Exorcist uh, angle cut into like a uh, later. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, Bay of Blood uh, released on May third, nineteen seventy two. Again, directed by Mario Bava, starring uh, Claudio Auger, Luigi Pistelli, Bridget Scat. Skay, my handwriting is fucking horrible. <laughs> Nicolette Elmy and Lauren Beatty. Laura Beatty from Hatchet for a Honeymoon. She's back. Not as, I, th- I think she's more outlandish and I, I liked her more in Hatchet for a Honeymoon. But that's not surprising because I liked, ha- I'm sorry, Hatchet for the Honeymoon. I liked Hatchet for the Honeymoon a lot more than I liked this movie. Luigi Pastini. Hey! Claudine Auger. That doesn't sound like an Italian name. Claudio Camasso. Leopoldo Trieste. Your Italian is flawless. Isa Miranda. <laughs> That's not an Italian name either. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, sorry. So, um, this movie is considered, this is like his, a lot of people consider this to be his, like, his magnum opus. From what I've gathered. Like, this is, like, considered by many to be, like, the archetypical Bava film. You know, I had thought that, but when I was reading up a little bit on the internet, I think actually that's more true of, uh, Black Sunday or... Um, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. those I think, or even Kill Baby. Dot dot dot. Kill kill. Um, I think this is uh, instead. I think it's it's more like his first sort of foray into serious gore, and that some of the tropes he kind of plays within this movie became serious parts of the slasher genre. Yes. And the fact that Friday the 13th just, just literally about to say that. steals from this movie. Just steals from it. The best kill in this movie, the best kill in this movie, uh, Friday the 13th, lifts directly. Um, so, uh, what, what, how would you, what would you describe this movie? I mean, it, it's definitely like, this movie had like a bit of like a murder mystery to it. Like, I felt almost like it was like Clue. Right, you know what I mean, like which is uh, kudos for, for for trying to make it more than just like a more than some kudos to trying to make it more than just like blood and guts, like uh, let's kill beautiful women in like increasingly weird ways. I mean, there is a large dose of that, but there was a, a sense where I was watching it. I don't think it was successful in doing so, but I will give it credit for trying to add this layer of intrigue and mystique that ultimately I didn't care about, and I couldn't. I I couldn't be I couldn't find it in myself to care about any of the characters. Yeah. But I I I I do like what Bava was trying to uh trying to pull off there. Well, I mean, the fact that it it feels like there's a lot of red herring things going That's on. That's what I'm saying, here. poorly executed red herrings. Um which feels very 
that that's the one aspect of it that felt very Gialli related to me. That, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, Gialli have all these characters that you're like, ooh, maybe that guy did it. You the know? most obvious in this one, there's there's like an insect prof- like this professor, um, entomologist. Yeah, who is like he's always like, my darling, you think my insects are disgusting and gross but if you truly look at them and isn't the one's name like ronaldo he has like a yeah, like a big he's yeah, like yeah. what's that ronaldo you're offended by my wife's comment about you darling you've heard of ronaldo's feelings and you're like okay that fucking guy is clearly supposed to be the killer even though he's what he's not and that's like there's so many characters in that where they, you think they 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 are the killer and they're just not and ultimately it's um it ends up being like i don't know about you but i i, I saw it i figured out it was like the um the husband and wife. You know, I, I thought it was then, like, I was like, that's... You kind of knew that was what it was. And not, not out of, like, sort of... Like, I'm not going to take credit for that. Like, I took credit for figuring out the the twist in the sixth sense before I even saw it. Yeah. This was, like, I thought it was very clearly telegraphed. Like, who else could it be? You know what I mean? Like, there's no one else. Because every other character, like, there's the weird fisherman who's the illegitimate son of the woman who's killed in the beginning. I'm like, it's not going to be that guy because that's too fucking obvious. The illegitimate son who lives in a shack by the ocean and kills octopi, like... Why would it be that guy? That's that's far too obvious. Yeah, I mean that's the thing in any of these movies um, that have that aspect. Whenever someone is really set up, I I just assume like that's not yeah that's not the guy. And, I mean it, it, it's it I, I guess it, it's probably become some, something of a trope to have like the goofy red herring. But in this one, it's played so fucking sincerely. And I guess maybe when this movie first came out, when like audiences went and saw it, they were like. Of course, the man who kills octopi and has like the dead body of a man he found in the ocean—that's that's or the bay, like that's that's the killer. And you know they were like shocked when it wasn't. But I maybe just forty years down the line, you know, with 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 forty years of horror history under under my belt, even though I don't I'm not forty years old, but it just it it didn't feel. Um, I just wasn't buying it. I guess. I mean, I think um, so. Apparently, this uh, we noted that. Laura Betty is in this. Um, <clears throat> apparently, her and Bava made this movie up together as an excuse for them to work together. Oh, interesting. Even though her role in this movie is much smaller. Her role in this movie is um hippie woman wandering at night to get killed. Wandering the woods at night to get killed. But apparently they got along so well in the set of um, Hatchet for the Honeymoon. So I guess what we could say is we're not doing a Bava double feature. We're doing doing a Laura Betty double feature. Yes, I, that's what this is. That's what this is. Uh, uh, apparently the original title of this was The Stench of Flesh. Um, but why was it called that? I don't know. It sounds intense. I don't, you know, yeah, all but, the murder. I don't know. Yeah, but why not call it like... The Golden Lion on the Onyx Pyramid. Like, that's pretty intense, too, and it has equally to... No, that's little... a terrible name. Stench of Flesh is a great name. Yeah, for a fucking Cannibal Corpse record. Ah, uh, no. Nah. There's no stench in this movie. There's no f- stench. There's lots of flesh, but there's no stench. Like, I can understand at some point they're like, what's that horrible smell? And they're like, they find, like, a dead body. I mean, well, I guess, you know, there's the dead body floating in the in the bay under the dock. That could be emitting a stench, but I don't know. Stench, stench like, Bay of Blood makes sense. Sure, and I know although it's barely a bay, barely a bay. It's like a large lake. So, so basically, this. I mean, okay. So while this movie is acknowledged as being very influential, I mean, certainly influential on Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, which completely ripped it off. But, um, but influential <laughs> on other movies as well. Uh, I think, despite that influence, um, the movie is very much a cheap 
I mean, I think it's a lower production than some of his other films. Yes. At least the other ones I've managed to see. In fact, it was so cheap, he was his own cinematographer on it, which was not usually what he did. And all the tracking shots were done on a little red wagon. I don't think this movie is particularly bad when it comes to cinematography. No, I mean, he's you know a, good, I mean? He's a yeah. good cinematographer. Yeah. But also, it's supposed to be in the woods, and all of this was just shot at one dude's beach house from different angles. And if you pay attention, the woods apparently are mostly just uh, sticks that he got from a local florist <laughs> that then he like taped and tied to various regular trees in this dude's yard to I make like it that. look like a forest. Uh, and there's just the two locations. Like They try to make it seem like it's happening at multiple houses, but there's only really two houses in the whole movie. That I kind of picked up on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... I think, in a way, you could actually look at this as a little bit of a triumph of independent filmmaking. Like, Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, it, for the budget it was and for what he was trying to do, it kind of works. But I got to agree with you, the movie would be better if I cared about a single one of these characters. Yeah. And I care about them so little that the movie starts to fall over for me into... Uh, like a caricature like I, I started to think is bava making fun of murder films because every character is bad yeah every character could be the like even though i agree with you that it's kind of clear that it's probably the people who it is yeah it could have been any of the other characters because they're all fuckers. horrible yeah there's no one in the movie that you go that i mean the most innocent character is the naked German girl who just happens to be naked. Yes. And then she's the one who... What's her name again? Uh, Brunhilde? Brunhilde. Yeah. I'm going to just take my little dress. Oof, I'm in the bay. Oof, there's a dead body floating on me. But even the way that they show up, it's like, here are two, here are two uncontrollably horny American boys yes. with their European girls. They're basically like... One is insanely thin. One is tall and... Big. Robust. Yeah, robust. <laughs> and... uh and the tall and robust one is wearing a dress that would be too small on the small thin yes. one. Her butt is never covered the whole time. It's just such a thing. You know, it's less obvious when she's dancing around having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when she's running for her life in this dress. Yes. And she's got the bow in her hair and everything. It, it almost feels like it's making fun of itself because it's like she, all of a sudden she's reduced to looking like a little, this it's the same person who was the sex pot of the movie. Yes. It now looks like a scared little girl. I guess. I mean, and, and maybe that's unintentional. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm certainly not accusing Baba of something meta that might not be within his wheelhouse as a filmmaker. All I'm saying is it's a striking shift in the movie it is. that made me start to think about it in a certain way. So, in other words, let me just back up because I was trying to make a very specific point, which is I think this movie would be better with likable characters. However, the characters are so unlikable that I started to think about the film as, I don't know, not a joke, but kind of like a like a satire Well, thing. I put to you, in 1972, what would it be satiring? This movie's about 15 years too early to be satire. I guess so. It just seems, I, I guess it culminates in the ending in which our two killers, <laughs> having secured their future as the owners of the bay. I mean, that's what this movie's about. Yes, yes. We, we need to own the, who's murdering who for ownership of the bay? We need to own the bay of blood. Who owns the bay of blood? Get me. And once they finally have murdered everyone, they've murdered everyone, so now they can finally have the bay for themselves. Their blood bay. They're killed by their children for fun. And the kids are like, ah, funny. All right, let's keep going. Horrible scene. So fucking corny. I, 
I kind of love it, but I, yeah, I mean, it was, but it was like, mommy and daddy, you're playing dead. I because you just literally shot them. <laughs> like it just it, 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 like their parents are so busy murdering that they don't have time to teach their kids. I guess, but the kids were like these were these were not teenagers. If these were teenagers, that ending would work. These were literal children. That's why oh, I disagree strongly. I think oh. it works better for children than for teenagers. Why? Because the children just don't know any better. But they do know better. Liam, they loaded a gun and pointed at their parents and fired. Yeah, because they're children. They don't know any better. They think their parents are just playing. No. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I, I really think this movie would have worked better if it was like two teenagers who were just like, ha, 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 ha. We showed them. I, no. Now think, we own I the think, Bay of Blood. I, I think the kids, it's, it's, it's. It, oh, no, I don't want to get into it. No, I, get into it. That's the whole point. I think that it's supposed... I don't know if it's supposed to, but I think it's intended, and it works for me as a like um, extension of the idea of how life is cheap in the whole film. And okay. So these two people who've gone out of their way with all these machinations and all these whatever, killing everyone. I mean, why is this bay even worth all this fucking work? It's a lot of fucking work, all this murder. They're yeah. murdering and murdering, shitty bay. And murdering. It's not even nice. It's like murder on top of murder on top of murder. And then to have it culminate in them just being summarily executed by their own children I like for it. fun is to me just seems like a, a continuation of the idea of how cheap life is here. You know, here at the Bay of Blood. In the Bay of Blood. I guess. I, 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 I don't agree with you, but I see where you're coming from. I mean, it's still corny. Like, I, I don't think it's not a goofy ending, but it's, to me, a goofy ending that kind of works with the rest of the film, which is also, uh, a, to me, bordering on ridiculous. The only thing that keeps <laughs> this movie from being a slapstick comedy is actually the thing that is unique in Bava's, uh, at least from what I've seen of Bava's other movies, which is this movie has some serious gore going on. Oh, my God. Way more than than what I've seen of his other films. Again, I haven't seen all his movies. And it's, I mean, it, it, we're not talking like a Day of the Dead gore. I mean, just, just some of the kills in this movie, uh, although it's funny, you know, bringing up Romero, there is a scene where a character gets a machete to the face, and this came out in 72, so we're talking five, six years before Dawn of the Dead, where there's the famous, you know, Tom Savini puts a, hat, uh, a machete in the zombie's face, yeah, and it's fucking effective. Yeah. I mean, you see, the, you see the machete hit the character in the face, and then you see both eyes working. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, it's not some magical... Well, Bava did special effects. He did special effects on some other people's movies too. It really um, works. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think at, at minimum, this movie brings that to the table. Even if you kind of hate the plot or you're not really into the, what else is going on, I think the uh, if you're someone who's into interesting effects that again aren't just a pile of guts, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Sometimes effects are gross because they're actually gross. Yeah, yeah. This is like smart gross. It's yeah. gross, but it's like it, it was difficult to do. And it's it's br- it's 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 painful in a way that isn't like you know like there's there are movies that are just they go for like shock value like like a Serbian film or something like that. They just go fucking 0 to 120. Right. And there's no real finesse there. Like there's finesse in this movie. It's well, silly. Very much so. But yeah. there is in the kills like particularly when Burnhilda gets killed, that feels extremely painful. Like right. you're what and you're like, oh fuck that! Like that would really like, oh my god! And there's like a beheading scene that's like, I I forget which character gets beheaded, but it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the gore in this movie is 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 is. It's it's 
intense, but it's not like over the top. Like, sure, we get it. Like, you're just dumping a bay of blood everywhere. Like, it, it really I mean, works. I mean, I think to be fair, at the time, that's how people saw it. I mean, the critical response to this movie apparently was that this was sort of the end for Bava, that he had gone too far, and that this was like just a bunch of gross bullshit. And you know, um, the, when it played at festivals, people just walked out. And in fact. Um, you know, Christopher Lee was in The Whip and the Body, which is, uh, from what I understand, one of Baba's most sort of like hammer style gothic kind of films. I yes. Mean, you have Christopher Lee in it. You're going for a feeling. You know yeah, no mean? doubt. No doubt. And so Christopher Lee went and saw this movie famously at a film festival and fucking hated it, revolted by really? it. Publicly was like, this is some bullshit. Like, damn, not into it. Um, so Baba got dunked on by Christopher Lee. Oh, yes. That's awesome. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeffrey Frenson reviewing the film for Cinefantastique called Twitch of the Death Nerve, which was the American yes. release for the film. The director's most uh, complete failure to date. Ugh. Wow. If you were appalled by the gore and slaughter in Blood and Black Lace, which we would not have been. No. <laughs> um, the This latest film contains twice the murders, each one accom- been accomplished with an obnoxious detail. Red herrings are ever present, serve as the only interest keeping the plot in motion, but nothing really redeems the dumb storyline. I mean, okay. It's a bit of a dumb storyline. I, yeah. I mean, so people who were critiquing it, I think, were seeing a lot more depth, I guess, and yeah. a lot more nuance to his other films. Um, and we'll find that out because we'll, I'm sure in a few months, we'll do Black Sabbath and Black Bloody Sunday yeah. Or, yeah, or whatever else. Blood and Black Lace or yeah. whatever it is we're going to do. Um, so, you know, maybe there's more there and, and we'll see that. Um, but for me, watching this film, every bit of gore, though done with much more detail than anything I'd seen in some of his the films that I have seen, yeah, it's all works for the story. There's no point where you're like, oh, we didn't need that. Yeah, no, I mean, like when, when, especially when you know, like I this the aforementioned scene where Brunhilde is killed, it's not like she's running from a killer and the killer kills her, and the way the killer kills her is violent. A B C D. There's a linear path that all makes sense. It 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 it's it's violent and it's brutal the way she's killed, but it's done in a way that like if someone were to actually kill someone, it's how they would do it. They're trying to kill him fast. The only scene that I think was a little bit over the top was the, you know, the aforementioned, I keep saying aforementioned, god damn it. The scene, the spear, where the people are fucking, and the guy comes in and just right in the middle. I kind of like that scene, though. It's great. I see what you're saying. It's great, but it's definitely like, when he killed, when when Brunhilde dies, you know Bava was like, she has to die, so we're going to kill her this way. Just kill her. Just hit her with the machete. That's done. And when the guy gets the, the gets the machete to the face when he opens the door, again, it's like, oh, we he got caught by surprise. The scene where the lovers are killed, you know Bava was like, spear through both of them at the same time. Stop drilling. You've struck oil. And just, you know, <laughs> you know, like, it's just like, it's it's great. Like, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's certainly an interesting scene of double penetration. Yes. I know you made that joke when we were watching it. <laughs> I get it. Come on, guys! It's good. Double, double penetration. It's good. good. Um, <laughs> and, and funny enough, that's the thing that Friday Thirteenth. One of the things that Friday Thirteenth ripped off. Yes, yes. Was the was that particular scene of uh, being stabbed while stabbing? I, I get what you're saying. It, it might that might have been a little over the top in some ways. I will say it's a little bit because they squirm for a long time. That's the only part I thought everyone was a squirmed awkward. when when they when he kills the um what's the the illegitimate son's name. 
Marco or whatever. Harold. It's not that. <laughs> Simon? Si- Simon. Simon. When he yeah. kills Simon, um, when he gets like, he gets impaled with like a, like a, like a, some sort of spear, like a octopus spear. Yeah, it's like a fishing tool. Yeah, like a trident. So when he gets killed with a trident, is it a trident? No, definitely. It's not a trident. When he gets harpooned against the wall, we'll go with that. And he's like, for like, 30 seconds, which doesn't sound like a lot, but again, I've said it before, like, t- cinematic time in a movie goes slower than it does in real life. So when I say, like, 30 seconds, you're like, dear, that's nothing. Like, try watching a movie where a guy goes, ah, ah, for 30 seconds. It's a fucking lifetime. <laughs> and, I mean, he does that. He's like, oh, and you think it's over, and he's like, twitches again, because it's the twitch of the death nerve. But it, it's, it's, it's a little, it's a little melodramatic. Which, you know, like Liam said with the, this fucking stupid double penetration scene, it, it, it's, it's great. It's, it's great. great. It's amazing. Yeah. It, it, it's the same way. It, 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 it's very like, it's, it's very, it's lingering and it's gross and it's squirmy. Um, but it's, that's, that's how this whole movie is. It's just fucking ridiculous. And I don't mean ridiculous like, um, like, haha, it's so bad it's good. But it, it's, 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 it's almost, there's, there's a word that I can't, I can't quite grab. That's, I want to say melodramatic, but that that's really not. Um, is it? Oh, I can't think of it now. <laughs> this whole movie is the movie is collectively the movie as an entity. The movie as a singular entity is chewing the scenery. I guess. <laughs> I guess if if, if 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 that's what I'm trying to get at. I guess so. What do you mean? Tell me more about that. I I just feel like it. It just the whole movie is like every every actor. Every character, every character is like, every line is delivered with just this, like, not intent, like, I, I guess intensity. And every shot is like, the, everything about this movie is so, I sound like an idiot because I, I can't get it out, but it, 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 it's, it's, it's like. Is it Grand Guignon? We'll go with that. I don't know what that means. Uh, some people know exactly what I'm talking about, but it's a, it's a term that people use a lot to intellectually describe horror that is not particularly intellectual. So the Theater of the Grand Guignol okay. in France was a style of theater in which there was a lot of violence, you know, lots yeah. of blood. Um, and it, it from that specific, that's a specific historical moment, that came to describe all graphic, mildly amoral horror entertainment, uh, which you would then associate with modern times, but actually was very popular in Elizabethan and uh, Jacobean theater. Just, just murder, just, just murder. Yeah, like Al- Alice Cooper stage shows. Yeah, basically, it was like it was like the you know classic sort of stuff. So think of the Duchess of Malfi, the White Devil, that sort of thing. Oh yes, um, and you could use them to describe splatter films today. In a sense, Bay of Blood is like the first splatter film. Now, uh, unlike a lot of splatter films. It is trying very hard to have a plot. That's what I'm saying. It's got this like this weight to it that it doesn't accomplish. But I kind of like that it's trying though. I, yeah, I'll I don't g- know. I'll give it credit. Like I said, in theory, it's great. It's like a it's like a weird story of like intrigue and like financial. You know, there's all these people doing all this like terrible shit for like financial purposes, and 
similar to I, I mean it's it's got it, it's got an element of like voyeurism that I wish it would have highlighted more like there's the scene where there's the creepy guy watching through like the hole he's watching the couples frolic yeah, about yeah. I really wish they would have dwelt dwelt more on that because that is the the grimy dusty killer in in a lot of like the giallo films is the just disgusting guy who's like voyeuristically watching like uh what's his face fucking hootkins in um hardware whoa yeah I wasn't you know what i mean that, but, but I that's 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 saying. that's what yeah, i wish yeah, they would have yeah, done yeah. more but it, it, this it, but it, it it has this like it, it it attempts at this seriousness and it just it comes off as like almost cartoonish in in how uh intense it tries to be yeah i mean okay yeah i i there's a part of me that wants to not say that because uh, uh, compared to where we're at now this film still sort of flirts with like artsy integrity a little bit yeah. because it's not as sort of crass as some of these kinds of movies can be. No. But are the seeds sort of here for what would become just fucking bloodbath movies that didn't really have yeah. much of a The movie's alternative title was Bloodbath. <laughs> yes. But you know what I but yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I I I so it's not that I, I, again uh, it's it's sort of the door leading that way. It started, but it's a fun place. I find it a more fun place to be than some of the modern versions of that. Yeah, this movie definitely sort of kicked off an arms race when it came to like splatter films to see who could be sure. And 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 I, and I, obviously we like that. I mean, we like we like um, Fulci films. Those yeah. can be fucking ridiculous. This movie's not as um insane as a Fulci film and it makes yeah, a little more sense than a Fulci no film. At no point but... does a priest throw up all of his guts. So as uh, far as... The priest doesn't do that. The priest hangs himself and... The... Oh, you're right. The girl throws yeah. up all of her guts. At no point does a girl throw up all of her guts. So yeah. clearly we're in a different realm. But um, was it probably pretty intense for people at the time? Oh I my god, so. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I like it a lot and I think this is a good... This was, I think, a good first step for us with Baba films. If you love some Bava films and you want to tell us which two we should watch next. Yeah, let us know. You should hit us up. Where would they hit us? How would they get in touch with us? If they wanted to contact us via Twitter, which is probably the best way. Yeah. You can find us at the Harbiz666 at Twitter. That's biz with a Z. With a Z. And just in case you're bad at context clues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's probably the best way. That's where I do most social networking is um is the Twitter try to be better on facebook about it but who knows we'll see twitter twitter i think is is i i, I like twitter the way it feels more could they also maybe send you an email yeah the harbiz at gmail yeah the harbiz at gmail <laughs> i forgot if there was a 666 in there because you know hail satan um so yeah i i guess that's it for our for our bava episode yeah i mean there's not a lot else to say there. I don't. No. I don't actually think there's much sort of context stuff going on there. But I I enjoyed these, and it, it does actually make me want to watch some more. Uh, yeah, I'd be interested in seeing. Um, I I I really want to see Black Sabbath because all cards on the table. I've never seen it, and I feel that's like an essential. Yeah. Not just because of you know it obviously went on to start heavy metal, but um, that's like the that's the movie that co- sort of like ties in like the really classic horror because it's got Boris Karloff. Yeah. So that's sort of like the connective tissue between like the classic universal horror from the from the 30s and 40s and with this sort of like um early modern horror in the 60s. Yeah. Um and I think that uh as two people who are interested in kind of 
continuing a journey into European horror, this seems like a good sort of entry point. We've taken the first step. Yeah. I mean, again, we know Fulci. We know some Argento. It's not like we don't know anything. But once you get past those three folks and uh, obviously Mario Barbosan, Laberto, mm-hmm. I mean, his, his the two movies he made... <laughs> Demons and Demons 2. Yeah, Demons and Demons 2. <laughs> um, and I guess, uh, I guess we know Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Joe D'Amato. Joe D'Amato. Which well, is not exactly a, a great place to start. With no, because that's more of an end. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of an and then end there's, the And then there's, then there's... That's um, a dead-end path, so to speak. You said that, not me. <laughs> and then there's uh, Nightmare City. Oh, yeah. What is his name again? Umberto. Oh, yeah. Um, Umberto Lenzi? Yeah. Um, Le Morning Driving is actually doing a Lenzi yeah, weekend. Yeah, 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 so yeah. they actually did Bay of Blood last year. That was pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't I didn't see it because I, I stayed at home and wept in my pillow. I don't yeah, know. We're bad at things. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, get at us and let us know what your favorite Bava films are. Mario Bava, because like we've established very firmly, Lumberto Bava has only made two films. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's uh, that's that's it for Bava. That was good. That was, that was pretty good. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you if you, if you if you subscribe to us on Patreon. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, we got some new supporters uh, recently, so um, I really appreciate that. Uh, remember. Um, Obviously, we love that people want to support us on Patreon, and and um, if you do support us on Patreon, please get in touch. I want to make sure that you get what you got coming, so to speak. Yes. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. Um, if you support us on Patreon, there's a lot of um, cool additions there, whether that's... Um, uh, whether that's like t-shirts or mentions on the show or getting to suggest uh, topics for us to discuss. But um, Alex Walker, I think is a newer, I'm I'm looking at this now. So uh, hopefully I'm (laughs) catching up. So prepared. Oh, I know. I know. I'm the worst. Twenty eighteen, Jim uh, Leszkowski. Oh man, Jim, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, Who's Adriana Gober? What the fuck? I've oh, heard no, of no, her. No, no, yeah, yeah. I've heard of her. She's a longtime supporter. Uh, but we just got Adam. Um, oh, Adam Malantonio. Fuck yeah, man. What's going on? What's up, bro? I know Adam only started listening because we reduced our uh, bit rate. We were, we we're putting the files out a little too heavy for Adam. Really? Because he doesn't stream them. He downloads them because his streamer thing doesn't oh. work all the time. And the, the actual file size was too big. I apologize. That's on you. That's for Cinepunk's and Hard Business. I made the file. I thought it should be a big file size. So I was fucking wrong. And of course, the fucking, the motherfucking, I don't even know if he listens to the show, Jingo Jesus, Bruce Park. Great dude. I saw Rampage with him. He's the he coolest was dude. He was there to see Rampage. It was yeah. it was amazing. No, I love him. And yeah. big support to him. Uh, big thank you to him for being a supporter. Um, yeah. So so thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Everyone on here. Uh, Grace Kim, Maureen O'Donnell. That sounds like a Grace Kim. Name. I know her. She did the uh, she was in a produ- she helped produce a, a Quiet Place. Yeah. Well, the Quiet Place. I'm sorry. Uh, Samantha Schalberger, Nick Guidado, uh, Ryan Sawyer. Justin Lord, fuck him. He sucks. Uh, Katie Mulligan, uh, the Far Sided Podcast. Jesus Christ, I gotta clean this thing up. Look at these fucking losers. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Uh, anyways, thank you to everyone. Evo Tomas. 
Yes, yes. Our current high high donor. Um, so yeah, page, Patreon is important. It pays for stuff. Uh, if we can get it up to, uh, we're at, currently at uh, just under a hundred dollars a month. If we get up to five hundred dollars a month, we're going to try to start paying writers for submitting. If we get even above that, we have all kinds of growth goals, including um, expanding uh, our current selection of podcasts. Uh, trying to acquire a space for people to record in. World domination. Um, yeah. Uh, doing more events and things like that. And uh, in theory, this hasn't happened yet, but we are really working to get some content up that's just for our patrons. Yeah. Uh, Nick, uh, you guys might know Nick uh, uh, from who writes for the website. Yes. Uh, he also has the From an Inspired By podcast. He has a bunch of audio he's going to hook us up with of interviews he's done with people. Um uh, we're going to hopefully we're planning to do like a group uh, commentary on some films. Just get a bunch of fo- Well, we have four microphones. So get four <laughs> people together, put a movie on and we'll, we'll time it out and you can put it I on. still want to do a live uh, 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 like a like an Instagram live of us playing the, the thing board game. I haven't really unpacked that yet. That would be great. Uh, yeah, I think we're definitely going to do that. We yeah. just we got to figure out who we're going to do that with. Hopefully not losers. Yeah. But anyways, thank you so much for your support. But that being said. Uh, if you aren't someone who supports us financially, there's a really easy way that you can still support us. That is, tell your friends. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Retweet us on, on, on Twitter. Yeah. Share us on Facebook. Yeah. You listening is, is great, and I cannot thank you enough for that. It means the world to us that, that, that you're listening, you're subscribing, you're liking this. Um, and we can only accomplish world domination with your help. Yep. So, like I said... You can find us on Twitter at the the Harbiz six 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 Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at the Harbiz six six six. Reach us at Gmail at the Harbiz at Gmail dot com. Um, you should go to cinepunks dot com and check out some of the other uh, podcasts we have. Like I said, we I was just on the podcast that John Wren does for us, The Mandate. It's great. You can go there and listen to me scream about Rampage for twenty minutes. Um, you know, there's the Cinepunks podcast, our flagship podcast. Yeah, that one's bad. Uh, <laughs> Black Sun Dispatches, which just is about to finish its first season. Brendan Foley, shout out. Um, and yeah, just go to iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, and just download, download, download. We've lowered our bit rates, people. Our bit rates are lower. We, we, we fucking did it. We lowered our bit rates. We're slashing bit rates like maniacs. <laughs> so just go there and do that. Spread the word. And um, just thank you. Thank you for listening. It, yeah. it, really, it really means a lot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We'll see you again soon. Yeah. Take care, guys, and stay spooky.